Welcome to lucky number episode 13 of This Week in the Metaverse. And this week we have a few items to discuss. We're going to kind of break the mold and do a few more than our normal three because there's a lot to talk about this week. There's some things that we've talked about in the last couple weeks that we want to circle back on and just talk a little bit more and tie the knot on. There's some been, uh, been some developments there. So we're going to kind of be a little bit longer, have a couple more topics. So stick with us. It's going to be good. First, we're going to break down Roblox's second quarter earnings and their July metrics, which I think is really the important thing we're going to zero in on. This is also going to tie back to our conversation from a few weeks ago about developer economics on Roblox because, you know, that became a talking point again with the earnings and Yon put out some good commentary around that and his view as a, as a someone building a business on Roblox. So we'll get into that again. We're also going to circle back to Unity. It's all coming up Unity right now. They had their earnings. They announced formally the China joint venture. So we're just going to tie that off. And then AppLovin decides to make an unsolicited takeover attempt. This is hostile for those that like fancy terms um, for Unity. So we're going to talk about how that, what that means, how that fits into Unity's attempt to buy Iron Source, how that fits into Unity's metaverse ambitions. All of that's going to come up again. And then last and definitely not least, SIGGRAPH was this week. That's one of the big real-time three, uh, just 3D in general uh, animation conferences. So we're going to talk about some of the latest developments from SIGGRAPH that came out that are the most relevant. I mean, there's a ton of announcements. We can't cover all of them, but uh, we're going to hit the biggest ones that we think are the most relevant. So before we, before we dive in, like always, we have a short announcement to share. Okay, so let's dive right into it. So Roblox earnings. We'll hit the good, the bad, the ugly, and then the future. And we're going to spend more time on the future because that's what we like to talk about. But just to recap some of the numbers, the bad and the ugly was mostly backwards looking. And as an analyst, that's kind of okay as long as the forward looking is still good. Um, so we'll start there. We previewed last week that the second quarter numbers were going to be tough. Difficult year ago comparisons, easing COVID tailwind and the macro headwinds in gaming that Roblox is not uh, immune to. And also foreign exchange. Don't forget that. That hurts their top line growth. So everything was pretty much light across the board, daily active users, bookings, etc. The good was in the July numbers. Dow's act and hours and engaged both surged to new records and records in July. So they had 58.5 million Dow, almost at 60, 4.74 billion hours. The first time they crossed 4 billion hours in a month and they crossed it by a lot. So that's really impressive. And just to give you the growth on that, the Dow in July were up 11% month over month and 25% year on year. Hours were also up 25% year on year. So really strong growth there. And people like to focus on the average bookings per daily active user, the app Dow. That also kept recovering from, you know, it's fallen from the COVID highs and now it's recovering. So that's also good for those focused on monetization. But really, we really want to talk about the future. And the future is they spent a lot of time talking about monetization levers that they're going to pull. They talked about recently NFTs a couple quarters ago. This time they really talked about advertising, performance advertising, performance marketing. And we talked about on our developer economics episode how they need to build an advertising platform into Roblox to make it a true enterprise scale business. And that's what they're going to do. So that's really exciting to see that they're making strides in that. Um, and just to put some numbers around the developer economics again, we talked about in our when well, the previous episode, we talked about developer economics. We, we said, you know, 25% ish is where they were. It was actually 22% in, in the second quarter. So 22 cents of every dollar that came into the platform went to developers. Um, that's a lot of numbers, a lot of ground to cover. Uh, and then, Yon, I want you to kind of talk about some of the thoughts you shared as well on social media, because those are really interesting. But first, just your thoughts on the quarter, and then we can get into the economics piece again. 
Yeah, I think that the the quarter, as I think you rightfully put it, kind of light. It's not bad. It's not amazing. Uh, we're definitely seeing the recovery. Definitely the highlight of the earning report was the July numbers. And that's very encouraging, especially looking at the Dow's. I suspect that we might even see in August even better numbers than July because it's summertime. Kids have way more time. Of course, they're also in camp and, and, and so on and so forth. But we might as well see as good numbers, maybe even better in, in August. Um, but I think the important piece is kind of the the numbers are, are, are light. They're not bad. We definitely see the recovery. And I think it's a really good sign that we saw some level of recovery in second quarter. Um, with bookings continuing to be more challenged, but I think part of that is because the, the Dow is growing and therefore you would expect to see bookings uh, per user declining a bit. And that might well continue to be the case in the next several quarters, especially as, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that, international monetization is still a, I wouldn't say a weak link, but it's definitely a, a much more raw side of the business and potentially will continue. And I'll talk a bit about that as in reflection of the note I sent on on LinkedIn and Twitter earlier this week. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to directly monetize users in India, in Brazil, in Indonesia, like they do the US and, and Europe. We talked about this. There's just not the ability to spend that much money. So this is why advertising becomes very interesting because, you know, they, they released recently technology where you can drop someone specifically into a specific part of your experience. And I think that's really cool because now you know, some brand, whatever, whoever it is, you know, whether it's a active wear or a jeans company, whoever it is, you know, they can come and say, Mr. Roblox creator, put this in your experience. This takes them to my virtual store. They can come shop and buy stuff and then jump back into the experience and I'll pay you for that. Yeah. That, that, that's a, that's a huge opportunity. That's really cool to think about that. No one's even touched on yet. So there's a lot of ways that this can be done to bring branded content in a new and different way into Roblox than we ever thought. And if they're building out the infrastructure to support this, that's very exciting because this is a huge, you know, every major social internet platform has some sort of advertising element to it. Yes, even Apple does now. 100%. Right? And they're building that out, you know, so um, this is a necessary move by them. And, I, and, it, and it's really exciting to see that. And, you know, we talked about how the monetization does come from the West. Well. The West audience isn't growing. U.S. and Canada DAOs were flat sequentially and up 2.5% year on year. I mean, they're relatively saturated with their target audience in the West right now. And so now it's all about growth in these emerging markets. And then to monetize those users, you need these other alternatives. They're not going to directly monetize. And so everyone who I talk to in the investment world that's complaining that AppDAO is down, that the bookings aren't accelerating, I think they're missing the boat. And this ties into what you posted, so I'll let you go. But... You know, I think people need to wake up to the fact that the bookings are now going to lag the user and engagement growth. And, and I think that the main point that kind of as a, as a jumping point to the note I wrote earlier this week that I want to kind of outline to the audience, the, the, the key point is, yes, Roblox is a 16, 17 year old company, but it is very early in its growth story. And I think, you know, the investment community gotten used to those upstart rising internet companies like Facebook, like Snapchat, that within three, five, seven years did an IPO. And things are just taking more time, especially with such a transformation of the internet. And so, you know, I, basically what I was arguing for, and I took the perspective of what I do in majority of my time, which is building super social as a company that develops and produces and publishes 
games and experiences and brand worlds on the Roblox platform. And I kind of suggested to look at Roblox and assess it from the long term. And as a company builder, I really look at five different pillars. The, the first one is when I think about the growth of the platform. The first one is the developer ecosystem. The second one is content and experiences. The third is the aged app users. The fourth is active users on a daily basis. And the fifth is geographic breakdown. So let's dig in quickly and I'll give a one or two sentences on each. On the developer ecosystem, basically the developer community in Roblox is one of the most passionate, talented and dedicated in the industry. Many more developers are coming, both indie and professional, and that is bolstered by next generation creators who started as players. This is potentially the most underestimated piece about the Roblox platform by the investment community, I believe. Very difficult to build a passionate, committed, dedicated developer community, just as Apple and Microsoft who have done it over decades long. The second component is content and experiences. There are millions of games and experiences on the platform. The, that long tail of content provide many reasons for users to engage, connect, and play. Brand experiences segment is growing fast. NARS Color Quest that we covered and others are example of these next generation brand worlds that are coming into the platform. The third pillar is aged up users. The fastest growing age group Roblox is now outlining is 17 to 24, and they actually claim that the 17 to 24 is as big as the 9 to 13, which is the core demographic, historically speaking, on the platform. And that has been the case now for several months. And so being able to consistently attract and retain 15 to 24 year olds users is critical for Roblox to become five to 10 times bigger, not just in terms of the scale of users, but also monetization. Aged up users will probably monetize better than kids. The fourth pillar is daily active users. July, as we talked about, Matthew, 58.5 million, an all-time high, up 26 year over, year over year. This is really encouraging. It's essential that Roblox continues to grow, diversify and retain its user base. Rising DAOs lifts all boats in a way. And, so, and also the per day average usage, which is still at 2, 2.5 minutes a day, is, is incredibly promising. And then lastly, geographic... Hours per day. Let's just let's just make sure that's right. Yes, hours which actually day. accounts for like I think hours. roughly like forty days a year or something, which is just absolutely insane. Yeah, I, I, people spend five times the amount of time on Roblox than they do on Facebook every day. Let that sink for our audience, right? Incredible data point. And the fifth pillar is geographic breakdown. Two thirds of DAOs still come from non North American markets, and actually, if you look at the top ten markets in Roblox's public uh, disclosures. Out of the 10 top markets, five are developing economies, places like Brazil, Russia, Mexico, Philippines, and Thailand, and a sixth country in the top 10, I wouldn't call it a developing economy, but it's definitely emerging, which is Turkey. Then you have four developed economies. And so these economies are really early stage in the growth of the GDP per, per capita, growth of purchasing power per user. It's going to take time to monetize these audiences, but it's very promising that two thirds of users come from North non-North America, but at the moment, it is a challenge, Matthew, and you called it out, that two-thirds of revenue come from one-third of the users. I think one of the key elements that Roblox needs to think about with regards to growing monetization in North America is, is the aged-up demographics. If they can attract and retain 18, 20, 24-year-olds, they will monetize better and it will provide opportunity for the platform in the long run, also in a market that is relatively more saturated like North America. Investors complained about Facebook's average revenue per user when they IPO'd. None of them expected Facebook to have 3 billion active users, you know, several, you know, a decade and plus later. So 
like yes the monetization model is not entirely known it's not entirely certain it's going to work but there's so many levers to pull that one of these call options has to take off and all concerns about monetization will go away like that, that's just how i feel it doesn't mean it's going to be successful and it's going to be volatile until it is but if you have a long-term horizon you know and i think this is what a lot of people are looking at something like roblox is because you can't look at this just over the next year you have to be looking out a decade plus until this thing really re until this metaverse concept reaches maturity and and at that point you know you, you you think that at least some of this is going to work so what we're going to shift gears and we're going to go back to unity because as i said it's all coming up unity right now a lot of noise and we'll even talk about unity in the siggraph section but you know we're just going to talk about the china joint venture they announced right now which it, you know, we talked about all the benefits of it in our in a couple episodes ago, so not going to go back into that. But I just did wanted to highlight the the partners they announced, which I think is the most interesting thing from the announcement, other than the fact that it was actually happening. And so I'm just going to read straight from the release from the press release. Unity announced it will contribute its operations in China, other than the Unity Ads business, into a new venture, Unity China, which will be majority owned and controlled by Unity. Joining Unity in this venture are several of Unity's strategic partners in China, including Alibaba, China Mobile, Gbits, Mihoyo, that's Genshin Impact, Oppo, PCI Tech, and Douyin Group. Douyin is ByteDance, that's Douyin is TikTok in China. Um, together with our sustained investment, these partners will help Unity China unlock new local technology development, provide strategic support, and drive deeper engagement as preferred customers. The most important thing to catch there is that Tencent and Nadi's, Netties were not involved. Tencent, you can see why it makes sense because they have Epic Games in their portfolio with Unreal Engine and there could be conflicts of interest if they're involved in both. NetEase is the second largest game maker in China and they're not involved. All of these companies listed, or many of them, are trying to challenge Tencent and NetEase in the gaming interactive sector and then eventually the metaverse. And, you know, Alibaba, Juyin, ByteDance. So I just thought that was very interesting. And, Yon, I don't know if you have anything to add, but it's just it's just quite interesting that it's it's a consortium of people that want to challenge these leaders, which also makes me think that we are going to see Tencent go more unreal in China and phase out Unity. And if you don't know, Honor of Kings, the largest mobile game ever made in the world, it still is, uses Unity. I mean, you, you, you have to look at it as this is an escalation of competing on one of the most attractive markets in the world not yet the highest generator of revenue in the world, but definitely potentially becoming one in the future. Um, this is escalation of the competition between Alibaba and between Tencent and overall companies like Unity and all of their local partners in China uh, standing up to the dominance that Tencent has and NetEase as well, but especially Tencent in the world of interactive entertainment, interactive media, and also technology. As we spoke in our last episode last week, that the role that Tencent has in really being probably the largest shareholder uh, of the, the largest number of investments and shareholdings that they have in many, many, many international game companies from Riot to uh, Supercell to now Ubisoft and, and dozens of startups that we don't even know yet about. And so this is definitely an escalation. And I do believe that as part of the emergence of the other metaverse, and Matthew, I know we might introduce even a new segment, so I'm kind of teasing that. The other metaverse, the, the metaverse that we are not part of, that you're only part of if you live in China, this is definitely starting to be a really interesting competitive landscape with this partnership that so bluntly excludes 
two of the biggest entertainment and technology companies in China, which is NetEase and Tencent. And so I'm excited. And it seems like a really, really, really smart move from Unity in building that con sort of consortium of companies around their technology and help them have a foothold, not only in the interactive media, but most likely in other sectors and industry in China. One other thing I'll add, actually two things. First off, you know, it just underscores everything we've talked about, that real-time 3D is, if not the most important, one of the most important core technologies of future metaverse platforms. And this underscores that, you know, uh, Tencent and NetEase have talent, have capabilities to do that. These companies need it, and they need it in size, and they're willing to spend the money to try to catch up. And so I think this underscores that aspect. The other thing I wanted to mention is that China Mobile is involved, and you know, most people will think of China Mobile. Yes, they're the world's largest wireless carrier. They have the most subscribers. Cool. But unlike a lot of the Western telcos, a lot of the Chinese telcos have also had a lot of, uh, a lot of success building out cloud infrastructure services, you know, cloud services, things like that, particularly for government customers. And in China, the government spends a lot of money. And so this is also, a, you know, having China Mobile in there is also a good way to get more exposure to government customers in China. We talked about that, local governments wanting to build digital twins and such. And so... It was really good to see someone like that. So we're going to stick with Unity, and we're now going to talk about their earnings, which did not matter because on the same day of their earnings, and this is a large cojones move by AppLovin CEO, you know, they just dropped a press release. They're making an unsolicited hostile acquisition offer for Unity at $58 and change a share. So it was a premium to where Unity was. It was a premium to where Unity traded when they announced the Iron Source acquisition. When we talked about the Iron Source deal, we basically said this is a deal for the current business today to improve the ads monetization. The publishing business is something we didn't talk about, but as I've looked at it and talked to more people, that's a more prominent feature as well. And that's something they called out in the merger presentation is, you know, getting closer with developers and publishing to get more of a revenue share as games scale on Unity. But you know, it doesn't really affect the future business as we've talked about, which is their metaverse ambitions and empowering everything with real-time 3D. This is on the operate side. Well, if I, if you think Iron Source makes sense, and financially I don't actually like the deal, but if you think it makes sense, AppLovin is five times bigger in revenue, five times bigger in EBITDA, five times bigger in all of the businesses that Iron Source is in. So if you think Iron Source makes sense strategically, selling yourself to AppLovin makes even more sense. I mean, what a move. <laughs> What a move by Aplavin. Bold, ambitious, aggressive. I would say this. It was interesting to see the Iron Source acquisition from Unity, and we talked about this is about the present. It could be a bit distractive, distracting us from the future of Unity, where Unity needs to go. So now what happens? Now they are being sucked even further and much, much deeper into the present because there's a company that is now trying to do a merger with them with a not an unreasonable offer. And as you say, just a more attractive business than where Iron Sources is. Obviously, there are other considerations, dynamics and chemistry between the leadership team, other synergies. Um, and so, you know, it's, I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen with that. But I think the bottom line for me is now you have a whole organization like Unity that needs to deal with shareholders' approval of is this acquisition offer is better. And it, none of that is really about the future. It's about the present and obviously providing more business and cash flow. And so, you know, let's see what happens. But I think it's an incredible distraction to the organization, especially if it's not core 
to where a lot of the exciting activity about the future happened, which is to create the vision. Yeah, I think that's that's well put. We'll talk about some of the announcements from Create in a second because there's some exciting things that they're announcing and they are making progress on digital twins and expanding beyond gaming. But, you know, I just I just wanted to kind of say how I think this plays out. If you're Unity, you're in a bargaining position. You shouldn't just reject it, you know, cold. You should negotiate and see what kind of price you can actually reach. You know, if AppLovin's willing, you know, AppLovin picked the perfect price where they keep 51% of the voting control of the company. Their shareholders do. So... That's why they did this. So if you're Unity, you should be like, you want us. You got to give up control to us, and you got to meet us at a much higher price, or we're going to do a deal we already have. And so, the breakup fee for Iron Sword is like 150 million dollars. So like it's peanuts. Like it doesn't matter. Like they can pay that out out of cash today. You know, if they got another offer from App Lovin that they're going to take. So that that that's not an issue. It's you know there's some deals that have like billions and billions of dollars of breakup fees. That's that's not an issue here. The the issue is just. Extract as much value as you can. If you're the board of Unity, you have a fiduciary duty to get the best deal you can and then evaluate it and see what happens. AppLovin has some potential to raise extra cash. They can, they publish their own, they have first party studios in house. If they, they've already been winding that business down, they could spin that out or sell it to someone. That's a way for them to raise cash. The deal is structured as all stock also. They probably want, if I'm Unity, I want cash and stock. I don't just want an all stock deal. So, you know, there's negotiation that can happen, and I think that's why we haven't seen a cold rejection from Unity is that they are negotiating and they're figuring something out. If they didn't want this, they would have rejected it day of. So clearly there's there's something happening. So we'll see, we'll see what comes out of it, you know, but they're in a good position to negotiate and get the best deal. So let's move on to SIGGRAPH. Some of these announcements, you know, you know, Unity reported earnings during SIGGRAPH, so these announcements came out in their earnings press release. But they're Matthew, maybe related, we should give so, a quick, a quick um, overview you know, a of what is SIGGRAPH for our audience who doesn't know what SIGGRAPH is. Well, basically, SIGGRAPH is a conference that happens around, you know, it's, it's advanced technology that covers everything around three-dimension technology, and it hasn't been live for a couple of years. It takes place in, I believe, in Vancouver, Canada this year, um, and all of the who's and who's of the world of 3D is coming there. Um, we've seen a lot of announcement around that from different companies, which we'll cover today. Uh, but it's one of the most important conferences and gathering in the world of, of 3D technologies. It's a super nerdy conference, so it's not going to get like all the fanfare of, you know, like a GDC even, which is also kind of nerdy. This is even more nerdy than that, but it's very important and very interesting if you're into the technology of this stuff. So one big announcement that came out is that Unity is partnering with Microsoft Azure to make Azure the preferred cloud partner of Unity 3D. That's really interesting, and in a different regulatory environment, I would have a different view on what this means, but there's no way in heck regulators are gonna let Microsoft buy Unity anytime soon. But if the politics change in the US, embedding Unity into Azure makes that a very attractive acquisition target for Microsoft, especially if they get Activision done. You know, For them to have control over such a you know pr prolific engine and, and business like that and just have it embedded in Azure is extremely valuable. Even as partners and as a preferred cloud uh, partner with Unity, that's going to expand Unity's ability to sell into organizations really well because Azure is embedded in so many organizations now as a trusted cloud partner. It's going to be so much easier for them to spin up instances of digital twins for people looking at bringing this to non-gaming opportunities. So really big announcement. It's going to take time for that to work, but don't underestimate something like that and what kind of impact that can have. The second announcement I wanted to bring up is, and this is 
you know, it sounds kind of eh, but Unity signed a deal with defense contractor CACI. And, you know, they're one of the largest defense contractors in the U.S. That's a big business. Um, they're going to be the preferred real-time 3D partner for future systems and simulation programs across the U.S. government. And they noted that this is the largest digital twins deal they have signed to date. That's important. This is a big deal. I mean, the, 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 the non-gaming create business is now almost a $200 million run rate. It's not like they're making a couple million dollars. So for this to be the largest non-gaming deal, digital twins deal, it's sizable. And, you know, it, it's really good to see Unity gaining traction with non-gaming customers. And credit to our friend of the podcast, Mark Witten, for, you know, really driving the organization. You know, as, as much as the operate business has been struggling the create business is continuing to outperform. I don't want to take I don't want to take the credit, but since cool. Mark Witten was on our podcast back in May, amazing things have been happening for Unity and him. Just saying. On the create on, side. on the create side, we did not talk to the operate people, and so we we take we take no blame for the operate business going down because we are all in on create. And then the last announcement, and then we can talk about just kind of what this all means is NVIDIA announced their Omniverse Avatar Cloud Engine, which they and, and they also plan to expand the USD, the Universal Scene Description. That's the, that's the standard technology they, that they have that they make open source. Um, they also plan to make major extensions for that to Omniverse. So the Avatar Cloud Engine is a, new, is a completely new offering to you know, just double down on everything they're doing in the Avatar space, which is, you know, again, if you've seen some of the demos they've done, it's really quite exciting. And then just continuing to invest in the core technologies. We've talked about the companies building the infrastructure, doing the picks and shovels work in the metaverse as attractive right now, because in the long run, those are the ones that are going to be there. They're going to be doing the work now to build the future. NVIDIA is there with USD. I think the important piece here is, first of all, on NVIDIA, consistently continuing to release and make announcements that are helping to deliver on the long-term vision of democratizing 3D creation. And I think you see that now with the Avatar Cloud Engine and how important Avatar is going to be. We spoke about it so many times. And the idea that we're going to do and manifest ourselves as humans into the metaverse through the manifestation of it, in, through a 3D avatar. And so they continue to invest in that. And then the, the USD, the Universal Scene Description announcement is huge because it's not just about bringing 3D capabilities to the web, but also really making those capabilities simple and available to the widest possible audience of creators. And so, you know, I think in these announcements, putting aside the Unity defense contract deal, which is great for them in terms of diversifying the business. But if you look at what Unity has announced with Microsoft and Azure and what NVIDIA announced with the universal scene description, both of these announcements are really geared toward what we constantly talk about. And we spoke about it with Mark Witten and with Rev from NVIDIA continuing to democratize 3D creation with tools and infrastructure so anyone, anywhere, at any time can build, release, and publish, and monetize, hopefully, experiences and products in 3D. That's the North Star for all these businesses, right, is get real-time 3D tools in the hands of as many people as possible and make it as easy as possible to use those tools. So delivering it from the cloud gets it to more people the other side of the coin and we haven't heard as much about this but if it's possible that's also the holy grail is getting to as low no as low code as possible possibly no code environments so you don't need to be a developer to build this stuff at some point that will happen and that will be 
you know, the aha moment for the average person because you won't need a degree. Just like YouTube, and we talked about this with Ryan Wyatt because he knows a lot about YouTube, you know. When YouTube came around, you didn't need professional video creation software and content. You could just record something and it goes right up on YouTube. And once we get something as easy as that for real-time 3D, things are just going to take off even Amen more. Amen to that. I think we're all excited about that future. And, and I also believe that it will take time, but I think these technologies and the ability to really allow creators and young people, especially, you see a lot of kids in schools and university creating all sorts of 3D products, experiences, prototypes. And it's not just on the consumer side. I just want to make it clear to our audience. It's not just consumer. It's consumer, it's enterprise, and it's industrial businesses as well. And, and all of those things are going to continue to be made more accessible to people and in a way, enabling the evolution of a whole new type of workforce, right? And if you had to spend years and years and years before you can potentially design a component for a Formula One car, you know, maybe there's going to be many more people who can do that and they can do that remotely and they can do that with an avatar that is immersed inside a 3D space where you go and work with Mercedes on their F1 car. I mean, there's just so many possibilities of how a wider creator generation is going to be involved in all of these industries, consumer, enterprise, industry, and Unity, NVIDIA, Roblox, Unreal, and others are enabling that, the realization of that future, and that's exciting. I will also just add education 100%. to the list of segments you mentioned, and education is just as important because, you know, when I was growing up, we were kind of like the first generation to use computers in school in terms of word processing and Excel and everything. If Roblox or something like that becomes the standard in schools, that will be the standard in the workforce. That will be the standard for the rest of their lives. And so education, don't sleep on that either. And so I think that's a great place to wrap up. We'll catch you all with another great episode on Tuesday.